This podcast is brought to you by TechStreet. Discover simple and smart standards management. Discover TechStreet Enterprise. Well, greetings, everybody, and welcome back to ASME's podcast, Unconventional Engineering. I'm your host, Roy Firestone, and here with me is the co-host, ASME's Executive Director and CEO, Tom Costabile. Hello, Roy. How are you? It's good to be back, and I'm really excited about another great conversation ahead of us. Well, folks, Tom and I are very pleased to welcome a man who combines two of his passions, aerospace engineering and baking. It inspires the new generation of engineers, Mr. Andrew Smythe. Welcome, Andrew. Hello, Roy. Hello, Tom. Great to be here. Hey, Andrew is a, an aerospace engineer at Baker and a presenter. He splits his time between research, future aircraft at Rolls-Royce and presenting his creation, The Art of Baconeering, which explores incredible engineering through edible ways. He gained, gained widespread recognition as a finalist on the 2016 season of the Great British Bake Off, and will be returning, in fact, it's on right now, to Netflix. He's the executive producer and judge on the newly released Baking Impossible Show. It's a competition that pairs bakers with engineers to make intricate creations. Now, Andrew, before we, we get to talk about your brand new show, which is fascinating to me, I'd like to start by asking about your engineering background. How did you get your start in aerospace engineering? Well, Roy, um, when I was growing up, I had a huge passion for aircraft and I actually did some flying. I wanted to be a pilot. And uh, when I was kind of coming to the point of finishing school, I thought, well, it might be good to have a backup option. So I decided to go into aerospace engineering. And then during my degree, I kind of realized uh, I was more interested in how it worked than necessarily being behind the wheel, so to speak. So um, I, I found a real passion there and then joined Rolls-Royce immediately afterwards on their graduate scheme and have been there for eight wonderful years now and have moved from jet engine performance through to where I am now, which is kind of whole aircraft. So yes. I get to kind of see things from that pilot perspective again, it's kind of come full circle. Crazy. So Andrew, I know you're uh, working in future aircraft research at Rolls-Royce. Uh, where do you see the industry uh, heading? Uh, great question, Tom. So I think it's a really interesting time. A lot of people are saying it's kind of the, the third revolution in aviation. We kind of had the uh, initial age with the Wright brothers, then we had the jet age, and now it's coming into electrification and alternate fuels. So it's a fascinating time. Obviously, carbon's on everybody's mind. Um, and also thinking about how we're going to travel in the future. So I think we're going to be seeing a lot more exciting novel fuels. I think hydrogen is going to have to play a role in that and increasing electrification. But I don't think there's one silver bullet, but I think that's what makes it such an exciting time to be in the industry is there is just so much potential and some really exciting technology in the pipeline. I would agree with all that, uh, Andrew, that uh, you're spot on, especially with the hydrogen part of it. Uh, you, you guys, um, I got I to gotta ask about this show because I, I, you, you're the technical people with, the, with engineering, <laughs> and we'll get back to that in a second, but I am fascinated by combining baking and engineering. You develop what we call the art of baconeering. Can you explain what baconeering is and when did you first start exploring the idea of incorporating your engineering background into baking, Andrew? It, it sounds like a weird, weird mix, doesn't it, Roy? It sounds like it shouldn't quite work, but it totally does. And I guess I first noticed when I was in the Bake Off tent, I realized a lot of the skills I was bringing to the baking table were similar to engineering, planning, experimentation, having a proper theory that you can test out, the importance of precision. And that kind of got the cogs worrying in my head, really. 
So uh, when I left the show, I was approached by a number of kind of science festivals, including the National Space Centre here in the UK. And they had a kind of food evening where they invited people in. It's almost like a food festival meets science festival. And they wanted something space themed, but that had a food twist. So mm. I kind of came up with this idea of doing a baked Alaska sponge ice cream and then torched meringue on the outside. So cold <laughs> on the inside, boiling hot on the outside. And it works in exactly the same way as uh, the re-entry of the shuttle or the Soyuz. It's all to do with little pockets of air. So that was my edible explanation. And it went down an absolute treat with the crowd, as well as, you know, getting some knowledge. They also got to tuck in to the demo at the end, which was really popular. And that's what set me off really on this journey of combining baking and engineering in, in ever greater and more bizarre ways and is what led to the uh, the creation of the show. That's fantastic. So when you appeared on a great uh, British Bake Off, uh, you were known for your outrageously engineered creations. What was your favorite creation? And, and do you think your engineering background gave you a leg up on the competition? <laughs> uh, oh, choosing a favorite. That's like choosing a, a favorite child, isn't it? Um, I think <laughs> probably... Probably, well, arguably a little, little bit easier. Um, there was one episode where I really wanted to make these interconnecting gears, a bit like that uh, intro sequence to Game of Thrones, where they were kind of going to spiral up and all turn together. And when that came off, when I pulled that off on the show, I was absolutely delighted. It really did sell the illusion. I called them my Da Vinci-inspired pies. And I think that's arguably what I'm what I'm best known for in the show. Um, Yes, I think so. I, I, it's interesting when you bring an engineer's eye to something. Um, so I, I'm always kind of trying to, you know, minimize risk. So when I went to the tent, I thought timing's going to be so key for all of this. So I basically had a New York stock exchange of timers. I think I had five or six set up with a label below each one. And one was my overall timer. One was my oven timer. One was my fridge. I had one for everything. And that was just me outsourcing. <laughs> Nobody else was doing that. Everybody else was doing one and then we're getting confused with their timings. I just thought maybe that's the kind of thing that an engineer's eye, you just think a little bit outside the box. Um, and when it came to creating, say for biscuit week, we had to do a, big, a biscuit sculpture. I thought, well, I've got to do a bridge. I can't be an engineer on Bake Off and not <laughs> do an, a, a ginger bridge. So uh, I did a ginger bridge and it meant I could do the calcs. It meant I knew the importance of, you know, assembly and having the templates ready and just doing everything, you know, proper preparation prevents per performance. Um, and all those things I think really did help me to kind of bluff my way through to the final. Um, but I think I earned my place there in the end. <laughs> I always thought that bakers are kind of engineers anyway. They're culinary engineers. They engineer the food without, of course, having the kind of the novelty of the creation that we're talking about. But are there any baking creations that you're hoping to make next to try to break, break the barrier even higher? <laughs> well, I've, I've had, there's two that spring to mind. One is I would love to make an edible full-scale uh, canoe or kayak to cross a body of water. I think I've sorted how I can make it waterproof. I think I know how I can make it buoyant and stable. Um, and I think also that's quite nice after you've done a nice canoe across a large body of water. What's better than just tucking into your boat at the end as your, as your well-deserved reward? So I'm working with a materials engineer. I think I know how to do that one. And the other one, which I would love to do, is something that flies, be it a rocket yeah. or an aircraft that is entirely edible. And that is a much tougher challenge just because the weight's involved. But I've got a few ideas up my sleeve. Well, you've got this new show on Netflix. It's on right now as we speak. And it's called Baking Impossible, where you share as both the executive producer and the judge. I want to hear a little bit about the show and really how it came to be overall. 
after I'd started doing these kind of baking shows, there was there was two gentlemen, uh, Bob and Andrew, who they got in touch with me. And initially it was just, we were discussing bringing the show out to the US. So my, my live science show coming out there and doing it at a few universities, it then transpired that they had a few connections in Hollywood. And through chatting with them, we paired up with a production company. Um, I was able to go in and pitch it to Netflix, which was amazing to kind of be in the room and behind the challenges that we, as we sold it to them, that it was going to work, that it was an idea. I'd done it before, I could vouch for it and got to be right the way involved through all the production, the challenge development, right to being there filming and judging. So it was an absolute roller coaster. And the best bit for me is having been on the contestant side of the equation, mm-hmm. now that over and now being on the judging side, I think it gives me a unique insight really both to, to empathize with what the contestants are going through but also knowing that sweet spot of n- not setting the challenges too easy because you know it's called baking impossible we don't want it to be like baking dead easy Quilly, we didn't want it to be literally impossible you know i wasn't going to ask them to make an aircraft that was going to actually you know take off down a runway we needed to set the level just the right amount of stretch so you're squeezing the best out of people and getting that spark of creativity without pushing them into implausible land. So it was treading that line, which was a really fun part of the process. Well, we talked about the similarities between mechanical engineering and bakers. I mean, they're they're really kind of closely aligned, I think. But what do you think was the most interesting thing you learned by pairing bakers with engineers? That's a great question. I, th- I think because it's important to emphasize they didn't know each other beforehand. So these weren't people who were already had, you know, camaraderie, had Mm. established teamwork. We kind of threw these teams together. And the key challenge for them was learning from one another. And I think the really big insight was the teams that tended to fare well, our bakers had to learn to think like an engineer and our engineers Mm. had to learn to think like a baker. Um, Mm And it's like those old engineering designs. You can usually tell if something's a modular design or an integrated design uh, because the modular one, it almost looks uh, despondent or or disparate, the bits that are stuck together. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas an integrated design looks as if it's had one brain kind of overseeing the whole thing. And I think in the show, those that fared really well were able to kind of get into that other mindset and solve the problem together and work out the best overall optimum solution rather than I'll do my baked bit. I'll do my engineering bit and then we'll sandwich them together at the end. Baconeering really needs you to look at the whole picture. Um, it's teamwork. Teamwork. It is, it, it is teamwork. And you get your engineering brief, but then you need to be chatting to your baker saying, this is kind of what I need it to do. What would you recommend? And the baker saying, I've never made this before, but I know a load about all the culinary techniques and the things that I can make. So they had to share knowledge and they had to be really open. So that was kind of an interesting analogy for me for what it's like working in engineering is you know if you want to innovate and want to create you've got to be willing to share knowledge and learn from others you can't just be a silo fantastic so andrew you know when i think of vacaneering i think of fluid dynamics i think of heat transfer i think of mechanics i think of some little little bit of of physics in in your opinion why is it important to have an an engineering focus on uh, on the baking show well it's it's one that's really close to my heart actually is you know i've always felt that there was (laughs) that there was there was sometimes um there's sometimes a stereotype about what being an engineer looks like. And I think over the last few years, that's, that's greatly improved. There's more kind of diversity. We're seeing more stories of, of real engineers and what their work is involved in. But something that's sometimes missing from the equation is fun. And, you know, in, in my day job, I, I have a lot of fun. I, I, it involves creativity. I have to solve problems. I get to work with an amazing and really interesting team. And their lives aren't defined by being engineers. They're kind of fully rounded 
people. And I think sometimes the, the mistake that we've made previously is presenting engineers as engineering is the only thing I talk about. I'll go into a school and I'll only talk about me as an engineer rather than me as a, a rounded person with multiple interests. And what mm -hmm. I'm really hoping that we get out of the show is, because it's really, it, it, it's a show for family and adults alike, really, is that it shows that kind of fun and passion in engineering, but also shows such a wide variety of people. And I hope it really gets people thinking about the engineering that they maybe take for granted in their, in their everyday lives, that they've never had that kind of light bulb moment before. I hope it kicks off a little spark of curiosity and hopefully encourages more people to get into the profession that's given me so much. You know, what do you, you know, when you, I've heard you also talk about uh, making engineering more accessible. Um, what do you mean by that? And uh, how do you accomplish that through vacaneering uh, presentations? It's a good question. I think, um, you know, sometimes accessibility starts with kind of representation. So we've got a, a wonderful, I was very keen that we had diverse, um, not just in terms of the typical categories, but I wanted to see lots of different types of engineers as well. I didn't want us all to just get mechanical engineers or structural engineers, because I think sometimes people have quite a narrow view of, of what engineering can encompass. So, you know, we had people who work as electrical engineers doing toy designs. We had people who did lighting designs and these incredible skyscrapers. Um, and I think there's that old saying, you know, if you, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And I think there is some, some truth in that, that, you know, just by um, getting kind of interesting engineers doing something a bit different on the TV in, in front of young people, it's going to give them that slightly different view of engineering maybe than, than what they'd seen on the news. So uh, I like to think we've got a really creative approach. I don't think it's going to change overnight, but um, I certainly like to kind of bring my whole self to the table. When I give an engineering presentation, I don't just talk about engineering. If I'm going into a school, I talk about, you know, I also love to bake. Obviously I talk about bakingeering, but I also love to prime cycle. You know, I've got these other things <laughs> and I could live without engineering. It's a passion of mine, but I don't just exist in this engineering silo where that's what I do. 100% of the time. Um, I think I think you've got to show that we're all rounded people as well. <laughs> That's great. I mean, your, your perspective and again, you're just a combination of the two. When we first started to, uh, to get to know you, I, I was truly amazed by the intricacies of designs and then the ability to sit there and say, okay, let me take a bite out of this particular project. You know, <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little difficult to take a bite out of a pump when you're designing a pump or, or an aircraft engine, but uh, you know. I think we've, we've definitely nailed the most delicious form of engineering. I think I challenge anybody. I mean, there's probably something in some biscuit factory somewhere that's a taste of your job, but I, I think I'm pretty lucky. Yeah, my favorite, oh. by the way, Arnett's biscuits, absolutely to die for. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Edison had a famous line where he, you know, he failed 20,000 times in discovering how to work the light bulb. He says, I didn't fail 20,000 times. I succeeded in 19,999 times in knowing what won't work. Mm -hmm. So I succeeded in my failure. So mm -hmm. what were some of the failures, if you can talk about some of them that didn't make air or did make air and was was surprising that that, that you thought was possibly going to work and it just didn't play so i'll, I'll give a spoiler free answer roy um one thing because the pleasure of being a baconeer before this and setting the challenges was i kind of had in my mind's eye how i was going to approach it and i always thought the key to so many of these because it hadn't been done before was you got to fail but you got to fail early if you fail near the end there's not enough time to do yeah. the learning to then mm -hmm. you know fix your mistakes so and with that means test so don't do a full-scale prototype a bit like engineering do something small scale test if your theory works then build it up bit by bit 
So there were a few occasions, which I think you'll see on the series, where I was surprised that people opted not to test in order to save time and then risked it all on getting it uh -huh. right first time with a full product, which if you say that to anybody in engineering, they'll say that is an insane way to go about things. Of course. Um, and we gave them a tight time scale, but they did have enough time to do those smaller tests. Um, and all I'll say is, I, I, I think it didn't pay off for too many people when they didn't do their testing and their prototyping. So an essential part of the process. Conversely, what surprised you if, again, without trying to give too much away, with something you said, there's no way this is going to work, and it did work. I mean, I was, I was pleasantly surprised a lot of the time. The delight for me was seeing people tackle the problem from a totally different angle to how I had it in my head that they were going to approach it. So we saw, um, I saw one team coming up with this proprietary edible glue. And I looked at the ingredients that they were putting in it. They were doing a cocktail of, I think it was gummy bears and Werther's Originals. They'd also used some sugar syrup in there. And I thought, oh, <laughs> this, this looks like it's not going to set up properly. And I tell you what, it performed amazingly. They'd done their homework, they'd done the testing, and I hadn't even thought to do that. It was kind of, you saw them, it was such a joy, you saw them going through the discovery phase and almost keeping their recipes private because they knew that was their absolute golden egg that was their kind of secret weapon as they were going through the competition. Um, so it was, just, it was just thrilling to be a passenger on that ride and see them making the discoveries that I didn't even know about. I would agree with you with regards to uh, the prototyping and testing. If you look at today's world, and as you know, especially in, uh, in aircraft design, aircraft engine design, uh, additive manufacturing, uh, prototyping scalability is a huge portion of it. You know, what concerns me the most, and I've seen several of these horror failures, I've had, I've had them happen to myself. You build a cake, you've got icing on it. If you look at the fluid mechanics and the thermodynamics of it, as it heats up, it slides off the plate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you need to call in a structural engineer at that point and, and do some underpinning, but you know, that, that all works. There's, there's a lot of times in the show where they come up against that, where you find something that, you know, softness wise, or if you wanted something as a shock absorber, say, there's one episode where absorbing impact is key to success. And there was a load of really good materials for that, but they just couldn't hold their own weight. So they were good at the, at the shock absorption part, but they just couldn't, um, you know, hold up for enough time. So then you have to start thinking about, is there anything I can put on either side of that to support it for long enough that takes you to the point of impact? And then you get into the really interesting world of edible composites and trying to use two materials to create something that's better than the sum of the parts. Um, and, and yeah, that's where things get really creative. So Roy, as a consultant to the bakers here, in that case, Andrew, I would recommend something that's a, a honeycomb or a rice cake a concoction to absorb the shock as well as the rigidity. <laughs> Tom, you should, Tom, you should enter the show. Wait, Why don't you oh, I've got Tom's particulars. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be reeling him on if we get another series onto one of the teams. <laughs> so, and then Roy, just to make sure that Roy's comfortable with this, because he is a bit of a chocoholic, you'd have to yes, cut that with chocolate. So, of course, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I was just gonna, you know, I, w I was wondering if any of these creations, Andrew, can be marketed. If, if it's a success. Could somebody go in the business of flying chocolate planes or something like that? Do you think, <laughs> are there trademark thing, rules or anything? Could somebody take these things from winning this contest and then market it somehow on an open market? Could that happen? Do you think it will happen? 
I mean, I mean, great question, Roy. I mean, so I, I own the trademark to Baconeering because I guess I kind of uh-huh. was there first. So there's, I mean, depending on how the show lands, I would, I would love to, I see loads of opportunities for people being able to recreate some of this stuff in their house. The stuff that we do on the show is inherently huge and kind of do not try at home almost because we've given right. them the kit and the scale and all the equipment they could need. <laughs> but I see some incredible ways that you could recreate it. So Edible boats at home, I can see becoming a thing as a great way to be baking, but also introduce your kids into engineering, have a bit of fun as a challenge. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to see what the future holds with baconeering. Unbelievable. You know, one thing about this series, Tom, I, I really, I, obviously I'm a novice. I said it earlier. I don't know what you guys know, but I find it so fascinating and also accessible to, to change the, 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 the mindset of people in terms of how they think of engineers, uh, and in this case, how they think of chefs, maybe or, or bakers, but I, I, I got to say that this this show, I can't wait to watch this show on Netflix. Andrew, I just want to thank you for for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks to both of you and Tom for a great conversation. Well, Roy, thanks very much, Roy. And Andrew, my thanks to you and Roy. Thanks again. We found another another home run here, so to speak. But uh, yeah. we're really. Uh, to make sure that we understand this, we really need to participate in the after party of one of Andrew's baking shows. <laughs> I'm ready for. I'm certainly ready for that. I am a chocolate. As long as it's chocolate based, I'm I'm fine. Terrific. I'll, I'll, I'll make a note and get the invites in the post. Don't worry. <laughs> well, that does it for today's episode of ASME's Unconventional Engineering. Special thanks again to my co-host, ASME's Executive Director and the CEO Tom Costabile. We want to know what you think. And we love for your suggestions for potential future topics and guests. And we've had some great ones already. Reach out to anyone on the Unconventional Engineering production team or send your email directly to media at ASME.org. That's media at ASME.org. And to become an ASME member, please log on to ASME.org or to donate to the ASME Foundation, go to asmefoundation.org. For ASME, I'm Roy Firestone. Have a great day, everybody, and thanks.